Thank you guys tonight. Praise God. Let's give them a little bit more love tonight. Well, a year ago, uh, Andrea was looking online and she saw a conference down in Austin, Texas. And she called me and she said, now she said, she told the story at lunch today too, but she said that I was a little resistant to getting stuff done. And so she calls and says, hey, let's go to this conference. And it must have been the Lord because I said, yeah, let's book it, let's go. So we went down to this conference and was introduced to Global Awakening, ran into two of our friends we hadn't seen in 15, 20 years, used to minister together in our our home home church in Bowie. We're glad to have Harlan and Grace tonight with us. But, man, there was a glorious outpouring in that house Uh, down in Austin. The Spirit of the Lord was moving and heard probably some of the greatest teaching, I will say the greatest teaching I have ever heard on healing. And it was a healing conference, and they do many conferences around the country. But uh, when this man stood up and began to speak, uh, Andrew and I both, we just fell in love with, with he and his ministry. He's got such a, he, he's a word-based minister. He's got such a powerful testimony. And we are honored, uh, William, to have you and, and your beautiful wife with us tonight. I want you to come. I told him he has complete liberty, do whatever he wants to do. And so if he tells you to run out the back door, down the street, and come back, just do it. Just obey God, okay? Thank you, brother. Come on. Love you, man. Ah, well, well, good evening, family. I I always love it when I get an opportunity to come to the South. You can tell by my accent, I am from the South. I am from Alabama, roll tide. (laughs) Am I starting off on a bad foot? (laughs) I can already tell you're going to be my amen, brother. So I need to stay in your good graces. So, or your Longhorns guy. Okay. All right. But anyways, it is such an honor to be here. I absolutely love connecting uh, with your pastors earlier today during lunch. And, and when I walked into this church and this property, I can just really feel and sense just an atmosphere of the presence of the Lord. And for you that this is your home church, you need to hear that from an outside voice coming in. Because sometimes we... We can be, be somewhere and be in the midst of something, but become familiar with that, that we don't even realize how good we have it. Well, I travel about 200 days a year, so I'm in quite a few churches throughout the year. And I'm here to tell you, not every church that I step onto the property can I sense and feel the presence of the Lord like I felt here. So be encouraged. I'm just listening to the Lord. I haven't run out of stuff to say. He's speaking to me a little bit about what he wants me to share tonight. But before I get into that, you didn't. You will notice that uh, when you walked in, there was a table on your right that has a, some product there. Now, the reason that we bring product is, is not to make money, it's to make disciples. So let me get some context to some of the things that you saw out there. The first thing that you probably noticed is that my beautiful wife was with me. Babe, can you stand up? No, you don't want to stand up? <laughs> she has some jewelry out there, and what that jewelry represents is several of the ministries that she is connected with that, that establish safe homes for sex trafficking victims. And so... When you see that jury, understand that it's not about the jury in and of itself. It is a way in which we or she uh, gets funds to help funnel into that. And we've already seen, or these ministries have already seen several, several hundred kids rescued. Uh, Come on now. Isn't that good? And so I want to give some context to that. My book is out there. As a matter of fact, it's called Every Day a Victory. It is my brand new book that I just came out with. I just released, and actually my pastor and I, when we were talking about this weekend, he wanted me to kind of uh, focus on this weekend of walking in freedom and walking in victory, which fits perfectly with my book. But how many of us know victory and freedom is the right and inheritance of every child of God? I want you to just get that inside of you. Victory and freedom is the right and inheritance of every child of God. Not some children, every child. 
I want you to even think about it along these lines. The victory Christ gained is the foundation in which you begin. Everything that Jesus was defeating going to the cross, he placed you in victory over by the cross. And so when you see him in his humanity, he was actually revealing what you and I are supposed to look like. He was role modeling the life and lifestyle of every single believer, a son filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? I've already said enough that will blow your mind the rest of your life if you really capture what I'm, what I'm trying to get right here. In America, one of the things that I've noticed is that we've kind of watered down the gospel. Can I get real this weekend? And I've noticed we have formulated this American version of the gospel that's disconnected from the context of the kingdom. In other words, we've developed this version of the gospel where we present Jesus as Savior, but we disconnect it from the context of him being our Lord. And so what happens with that is that we say to people a lot of times, you can have Jesus while you remain your own God. I just let you think about that one. You see, I'm going somewhere with this. You see, I didn't really realize it was that type of gospel in this country until I started traveling internationally and I started going into different regions, into different environments, and I began to notice, this, the, notice the emphasis of the power of the Spirit in other countries. And then it led me to do a study on the fastest growing churches in America versus the fastest growing churches worldwide. The fastest growing churches in America is the seeker-sensitive churches. But the fastest growing churches worldwide is the ones that emphasize the power of the Spirit. Because the seeker-sensitive model only works in the Western culture. It does not actually work out in the context of real-world problems where people want to know, how do I cast this demon out? How do I deal with the warlockness that's projecting and curses on me? How do I deal with famine? How I, we, we, we watered down this gospel to the point where it's no longer a representation of the kingdom. Is this making sense? And I began to come home, and I'm looking at the churches, and this guy come up to me, and, and this is a statement that he made to me. He says, well, he says William, I, I, I'm a sensationist. I, I, don't, I don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or the continuation of the gifts. And, and I thought about it for a moment, and this is what I responded to him. I said, so you're saying to me that you can live the Christian life in the strength of your flesh? I said, to deny the power of the Spirit is to insinuate to God, I can actually live this Christian life in my own ability. I don't know if you realized it, but the Christian journey, the Christian life that God has called us to is impossible in your ability. That's why you need the power of the Spirit working within you and working through you in order for you to actually answer the call that God has placed on your life. And if you're not, listen, if you can live your Christian life without the power of the Spirit, you're not fulfilling His will, you're fulfilling yours. Now, I was hoping I could, I could be very blunt this weekend. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have a very sarcastic sense of humor. I am a nice guy. I love you. I, I care about you. But listen, we can look at our society, our culture right now, and listen, it is going to hell in a handbasket, and we need us as the body of Christ, the children of God, to realize her purpose within that context to bring light into darkness. You see, I don't see the darkness in the world as a sign of the times. I see the darkness in the world as a sign of the church not realizing who she is. Yeah. 
But yet we formulate these religious teachings sometimes that says, well, the world has to go to hell in a handbasket so Jesus could come back on a rescue mission to rescue me from the world instead of for the world. I'm here to tell you Jesus is not going to come back for a bride that he's unequally yoked with. He's going to come back for a bride that's in equal proportion to who he is. And I can guarantee you he's talking to the Father right now, and he's looking at the church in America, and he says, man, that's a jacked-up-looking woman. I ain't coming back for her. <laughs> to that problem, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, and I've been filled with all of his authority and power, and God has divinely placed me here as a divine solution. If you do not see yourself as a solution, you'll only aim to become part of the problem. And so, interesting that Pastor started talking about image before I came up to minister when he didn't even know what text I was going to use. I think God has a plan. You know, God is a master at making it look like you know what you're doing. That's a good word for somebody. <laughs> it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion. dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Everyone say all the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so you see right here these three, these three words, image and dominion, or image and dominion. Well, I want to focus on this real quick. I began to do a study on that word image, and there's two predominant definitions of that word image. The first one is, is, is plain, and it's obvious that it means resemblance, right? That God formed you in his resemblance. You are to resemble him. But the second definition that I think is even more important to understand is that it means representation. In, in other words, God formed you in his image so that you will be an exact representation of, of that image of who he is. So it was in actual God's original intent and design for that all of creation to look to man to see what God actually looks like. All right. In the same way that when Jesus came into in the form of man, he made visible the invisible God. It's the same way that you and I as the church is to make visible the invisible God to everybody around us. Why? Because we have to understand the image of the one in which we were created in. God is so secure in his identity that he trusts that you will bear his image. I want you to think about what I just said. The God of all creation, the God of the universe is so secure in his identity that he has formed you and I out of his image and now he is entrusted and trusts that you will actually be an exact representation of who he is. You see, the world does not reject God. What the world rejects is I have this context in mind that I am a representation not of William Wood, but of Jesus Christ. That he is not just my Savior, he's actually the Lord of my life. I wonder if there will be enough evidence to charge them of that. Is this too hard? I know this is the fr Friday night, the first night, man, but it normally takes people three days to like me. <laughs> you guys only have one shot, praise God, but you, listen, let's this, this get it. Don't, don't, don't get offended by this because I'm not trying to come across in judgment or condemnation. I, I'm trying to get us to see a, a reality. Every single one of you was created in God's image for a purpose. You are not, listen, you Voluntary, otherwise it's slavery. 
And so the God of the universe has chosen to limit his will according to the cooperation of yours. All right. Let me try this side. The God of the universe has chosen to limit his will according to this entire context right here. When God told man, let them have, it delegated authority to you and I, which means now it creates the context in which God chooses to work within the context of the world. That is through humanity formed in his image. Can God move outside of that context? Absolutely, but he desires to move through that context because that's his plan, not mine. And so if the power of God is limited in my life, it's because of my cooperation with it. Well, William, what do you know? Well, I haven't been sick in 18 years. I don't get sick. Can't make me get sick because I don't get sick by faith. Let me try this side over here. What do you mean? I'm not going to form belief systems that empower something that Jesus defeated on the cross. You see, I'm trying to get every belief system that I have to be biblical, to be foundational according to this word so that my will comes under surrender to his, so that his will could be a demonstration through the context of mine because the God of the universe has chosen to work within people. Why do you think when you pray sometimes, God answers that prayer, but he likes to answer it through people? And so it's not that God is holding up the answer to it. It's that the person that he has moved on their heart to be an answer to that prayer is holding up his will to be demonstrated in your life. What, what, what God, what God, all these hungry people in the world, and he's like, you morons, didn't I give you the assignment to go into all of the world filled with my spirit? Why are you asking me to do and be what I've created you to be an imager of? Man, I'm going to pull my hair out. It's just, it's just helping. And so the first time this really hit home with me, I was actually a pastor. Can you imagine me, a pastor? Oh, I got delivered from that, praise God. I'm kidding, brother. I remember I was pastoring this church, and this gentleman came to our church, and, 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 he, was, and he was plugged in, he was being blessed, and he was just really getting involved, and all of a sudden he just stopped coming to the church, and my town was small enough that I knew I would see this guy again. And sure enough, about three months later, I see him at Winn-Dixie. I come up to him, and I said, sir, what's, what's going on? Why did you stop coming to the church? I, I genuinely wanted to know. This is what he told me. He says, well, when I first started coming, coming there, I had a great time. I loved the messages. I loved the worship. It was, it was amazing. He says, but then I started hanging out with the Christians after the service. I said, okay, well, where are you going with this? He said, well, he said, well, most of them was offended that First Baptist Church beat them to the restaurant first because they got out of church too late. Amen. And he said, that's the first thing I noticed is they, kept, they would get to the restaurants instead of talking about God, talking about miracles, talking about the word, talking about worship or whatever it is, it became carnal. It became complaining. Do you know what complaining is? The worship music of hell. Complaining is the worship music of hell. Why? Start complaining and see what, see what you attract to your life. You notice someone that complains a lot, all of a sudden there's an atmosphere created around them, and then at some point they feel compelled to complain. Why? Because it becomes demonically empowered. You see, you enter God's gates through thanksgiving, but you enter Satan's gates through complaining. He says, so this is the first thing I noticed, that they were just complaining about everything. He says, but then we, we, we sat down, and all of a sudden they started gossiping about other churches, about other people. They, may even, they even talked about you, how they didn't like your message that day. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> look, we, look, we need to be interceding on behalf of the ministers, not gossiping about them. Do, do you realize gossip at its core is demonic in nature and it becomes witchcraft? 
You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to come against you through people, and he wants to get that person to rise up against you in gossip or judgment and condemnation for the purpose of getting you to reciprocate what he's coming against you with. So in other words, if someone judges you and you rise up in judgment, what really won in the situation was judgment. And so when I'm gossiping, I'm actually coming into agreement with the demonic agenda to tear down the church or the pastor that I'm part of. Oh, Lord. He says, that's the second thing I started. Where he just started gossiping about everything. He says, then the waiters would come around, and, 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 and at, the end of the, at the end of the meal, instead of giving them a tip, they would left them, I left them a track, told them they were going to hell in a handbasket. Is this hurting too much? I hope pastor wants to bring me back. And when he says this, I'm, get, I'm thinking and I'm processing what he's communicating to me. And then he says these words. And he says, and their words and their actions didn't sound or look much like Jesus. And this was my response to him, a sad reality, but it just came out of my mouth. I said, well, you shouldn't relate the words and actions of a Christian to Christ. And when I said it, what I was trying to articulate was that even though a Christian has misrepresented Jesus, and even though a Christian may have done something or said something, doesn't mean that Jesus is actually that way. Just because a Christian has rejected you doesn't mean God has. That's what I was trying to say, but when I said it in that language, you shouldn't connect the words and actions of a Christian to Christ, and it hit me. You should be able to connect my words and my actions to Christ so he was really the Lord of my will. He gave it to me as a free gift, but it's now my responsibility to yield it to him because he doesn't want a slave. He wants a son that follows him out of their desire to do so, not because he forced them. You have as much of God's will in your life as you will to. You have as much of God in your life as you will to right now. And you, so you see right here in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, Let man be formed in my image and let them, let them have dominion. And in that context right here, he, God of the universe has chosen this. Now I choose to work within the context of humanity formed in my image. And now I want them to understand their divine purpose in the context of the world, that they are called to be a good steward of it. I'm going to get in some of this tomorrow morning, but I'm going to say this much right here. When you get into Genesis 3, you'll notice that a serpent came to Eve and not a lion or a bear is because God had given a dominion and authority to Adam and Eve, and therefore Satan could not force them into obedience. He had to deceive them into obedience. But in the process of their human agreement with his deception was in that, that moment they made Satan the God of this age. God did not give Satan authority and dominion over this earth. Man did. I'm going to unpack that tomorrow. You really need to come back tomorrow. That's going to be good. But right now, I want you to think in this framework. I'm an answer to the world's problems. God has formed me in his image. I don't represent me. I represent him. I'm an ambassador of God. That means when I look at someone and, I, and they hear my voice and they see my actions, are they seeing an accurate display of Jesus or not? When I began to think about these concepts, and, and I remember I was walking by this one neighborhood in my, in my town, and, and I would always get next to this neighborhood and immediately start complaining about the neighborhood because the people didn't seem to care about their neighborhood. There was trash everywhere. They didn't mow their lawn. And you could, you could 
in my house, you see my lawn, it's like a golf course. Like, like I, grass is a thing for me. And, like, and I'm like, man, they don't cut their grass. They, they don't put roofs on their house. I'm like, and I would just walk by and complain about it. And God says, William, why are you complaining about this neighborhood when I've created inside of you a, an answer to that problem? Why don't you go and role model before them what it looks like to have pride in your community? In the good sense of pride. And so I walk in and I say, you know what? That's right. I'm an answer. I'm not, I'm not part of the problem. I'm part of the answer to the solution. And so what I started doing, I went and talked to the manager that oversaw the development. And I said, well, this is what I would like to do. I would like to start coming in here and I just want to serve people. I'm not here to Bible beat them. I'm not here to judge or condemn. I just want to come in and I want to serve the community. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. So that's what I started doing. For the next two years, week after week after week, and it, consistency creates trust within community. We can't just go somewhere one time and think that we have a voice in their life. We have to be consistent. And so I started going there. First thing I started doing was I started mowing people's lawns because I'm a grass guy, and you got to have your grass looking good, brother. And so I started cutting people's lawns. Next thing I started doing, I started feeding their kids, buying groceries for them. I mean, I'm just trusting the Lord to provide the resources to, to meet the needs of these five, 600 people. You see, some of us are waiting for the provision to come before we go, but God is wanting you to go so the provision can come. You see, most Christians live at a stoplight when they should be realizing they're living at a green light. Man, I'm preaching better than you're responding in here. I want you to, this is a philosophy that I live my life by. I have a green light until God gives me a stoplight. I don't have a stoplight until he gives me a green light. I'd much rather God tell me to stop and have to continually tell me to go. I, 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 I have something to tell you. You're not waiting on God. Like, like, he's waiting on you. I mean, I'm sure he's probably sent angels to help us out, and these angels are like, oh, my God, these people are so boring. They don't do anything. I'm like, like well, what do, I want my angels to actually be working. Is my, are you okay with my sense of humor? I know I started off bad when I said roll tide, but just let's erase that. No, I love you. And so I started going into this neighborhood, and, and, and I realized I'm, I'm bringing a solution to this. I'm mowing the grass, so I'm feeding the kids, I'm fixing up their homes, and I'm doing all of these things. After two years, I saw 300 people get saved. And after two years, they were mowing their own grass, taking care of their own children, looking after their own neighborhood. And when after two years, every person in every home in there had such pride. For their community, they says, you know what? I am made in God's image to be a steward. And all they needed was a person to role model what it looked like to have value. You see, the way that you value yourself determines the value in which you create around you. Let me see, the, let me see if I can say that a different way. Many of us do not impact the culture around us because we don't value who we are. We don't value who God is inside of us. We see ourselves as useless, therefore we don't become useful. You see, victory begins in seeing yourself victorious in Christ. Victory and freedom begins with you making this conscious effort saying, you know what, I'm no longer going to tolerate a defeated mentality because Jesus didn't die to have a defeated church. He died to have a glorious bride. And so therefore, I'm going to make a decision right now that I'm going to see myself the way he sees me, not the way that I see me. And I'm going to look into the mirror of his word until I see a reflection of his image. I'm going somewhere. But we have this overemphasis of the sovereignty of God to the point it's created complacency in the commission because we're waiting for God to do what he's empowered us to do and created us to be. And we're having, listen, we pray prayers God can't answer because he's already answered it in you. 
Man, it is quiet in this charismatic church. Is this, are you guys Pentecostal? <laughs> Got your ears on. Family, I'm, as a reason, I'm laying this context. There's a reason I'm, I'm getting intense with this. And I'm not getting intense because I'm mad at somebody. I, I just look, man. That's just my face. I can't change my face. I mean, I've had people try to cast my face off of me. But, it, 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 like, I can't cast me out of me, right? I mean, I, like, I guess I go to places and in the natural I don't look anointed because somebody tried to lead me to, wor- lead me to Jesus during worship. <laughs> N- not here. But I'm in conferences all over the country. People come up and say, brother, you just look like you're really struggling. Man, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. You just look like you got anger. I said, man, I have anger now. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Okay, I'm getting off. I got to get back on track here. But we, but we, we push all responsibility off on God a lot of times because we have this, this grid, this, this, this theological framework that neutralizes the gospel, undermines the commission, and devalues your purpose. It's got to get this way. It's going to be a little small, little, little small group of people. No. What if it's going to be a glorious bride, a victorious church? What if it's going to be somebody that's walking in so much light and walking in so much authority, walking in so much power that the shadow begins to heal the sick? What if it's going to be a church and a body of people that begins to see the dead being raised in the midst of a, of a, of a virus? I saw my first person raised from the dead in 2020. I went with my wife and I went to the hospital. We talked to them, and this is when they were not letting people in the hospital, brother. We were like, look, we're, we're the ones you want in here praying for people. We, didn't, we said it in a different way than that, but, but, but Jesus is in me. Like, like, like you didn't see Jesus looking at the leper saying, well, hold on, let me go put my mask on and some plastic gloves so I can go pray for the leper. No, no, no. no. He says, let's go and cleanse the leper because what he touches Some of you thinking, this is a strange guy. And so we went to this hospital. This We walk into ICU. This, this girl is brain dead. So in the medical profession, you're, you're dead because you're kept alive by machines. And my wife and I share testimonies and, and speak over this young lady. My wife uh, begins to pray for her. I begin to pray for her. And, and the next morning... The, the mother of this daughter contacts us and said when this morning her daughter woke up, ripped off all the machines off of her and walked out of the heart of her hospital room with no brain damage whatsoever. <laughs> Is that fairly accurate, babe? She's the detail person. I'm giving you what happened. But she's like, the, she knows every detail. But the point is... What if we were afraid that if we went to the hospital, we were going to get what they had? I have people come up to me all the time. Don't let that person lay hands on you. You're going to get their demon. What about they get my Jesus? Like, what's wrong with that? (laughs) Amen. And I'm thinking, well, who's more powerful, the devil or Jesus? Like, like. What's, what's more powerful, sickness or the healing virtue of God? Like, and so when I make statements like I don't get sick, it's because I don't put faith in sickness. I put faith in the fact that he has made me whole. And I was walking, listen, the past three years when everything shut down, I was doing tent revivals all over the country. I'm going, I was like, bring the sick. And I tested about 20 times for COVID. Guess what? Negative, 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 negative. Why? Because I have, listen, I have the vaccine. It's called the gospel. Amen. Now, I'm not, oh, man. Brother. Like, like, like I'm not trying to, like, to 
talk down anybody that did that. Listen, everybody has their own context. Everybody's where they are. What I'm just saying is there's a place in God that you could get in your understanding, identity, and who you really are, that you begin to walk on the earth like Jesus walked on the earth, and you didn't read about Jesus getting sick or afflicted or demonized. You didn't read about Jesus having these issues. He was actually taking them upon himself, nailing it to the cross so that you can live in total, complete victory and freedom over them. Is this, is this helping? <laughs> I'm, I'm not usually like this on the first night. I usually wait until the last day for, to kind of reveal who I really I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But family... This is the context and always God's original intent and God's original design. Well, William, that was Genesis 1. That was before the fall. That was before they messed everything up. Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Turn over to Matthew 28. This right here is the Great Commission, and I want you to notice the language in which Jesus uses with the disciples. It's a different language but the same assignment. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Verse 17 is funny to me. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Sounds like a lot of church services. They saw him and worshipped him, but still some doubted. That just blows my mind. But what I want to get to is verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Some authority has been given to me. Is that what the Bible says? <laughs> I, I love it when I'm in a Bible church. I love it when you rebuke me first thing. I, I've been in some places they actually thought that's what it said. Do you know there's a new translation of the Bible that has come out now from the LGBTQ community called the Queen James Translation? <laughs> it's a perversion. Anyway, I better not get on that. But <laughs> the point right here, <laughs> it says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me. Listen to this. Two designations. In heaven... Refer, speaks to his divinity, and then on earth speaks to his humanity. So there's two designations there. All authority has been given to me in heaven and therefore on earth because one of the reasons that Jesus came in the form of man was to restore the image that man distorted or got distorted and to restore the authority and dominion that man had delegated to the devil. He actually came as a man to take back that authority, take back that dominion and have two designations of it and now say to the church, now not only do you have authority and dominion to go, but you're going with the authority of heaven behind your words, and I want you to go therefore into all. Because it goes on to say this. Go therefore, go therefore, whose responsibility is it to go? So why are we constantly praying for God to do what he's already commissioned us to do? I, listen, I, I don't need God to tell me to go be a blessing to somebody's life. I don't, Lord, do you really want me to really help this man? Do you really want me to pray for him? Do you really want me to go there for now, with this, that doesn't mean that you're, you're one person. That doesn't mean that you have to minister to every single person you come in contact with. I thought that's what that meant for a long time, and I became a slave to the gift. Because Jesus did go into villages sometimes, minister to one person, and continue to go. Your gift is to be submitted under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is not to control you. But the point right here is this. I don't have to go in long periods, times of fasting and praying to know if God wants me to be an imager in my neighborhood, my city, my state, wherever I am. Because he's already told me to go. So me praying, God, do you want me to, is a prayer he can't answer. 
He's already answered it. And so if I'm praying and I hear silence, there's probably a reason. All right. Go, therefore, make disciples. It doesn't say converts, does it? It says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I love that last part of, the, of that verse. And it says, and teach the people that you have discipled the things that I have taught you. What did Jesus teach them? As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Because this is the argument that people have with me. He says, well, William, Jesus was speaking to the apostles, but they told the apostles to teach the people what Jesus taught the apostles, and that was to bring the kingdom. Amen. And so you have this context, and this context is that God wants to flow through the avenue of you. And Jesus loves, listen, he values freedom so much, he's willing to live inside of you as a captive until you learn obedience. What do you mean? I'm holding God captive? No, he's chosen not to violate your will to accomplish his. And so God says, you know what? I'll make them my home. I'll make them my temple, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. I'll make them my temple, and they'll become my dwelling place. They'll become the place that houses my divine presence, and it'll be inside of them. But I'm not going to come there to force them to be obedient. I'm coming to abide inside of them until they learn that they want me or need me to be in control of their life. God wants to be in control of you. He, 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 wants to, he wants to do the things in your life that he has dreamed for you. But the issue a lot of times is that, is that we don't think that he's actually going to be good to us so we don't relinquish control. When I say we, I'm talking in a general sense, obviously not many of you. But what I've noticed when I don't relinquish control to God is because I think he is not going to he is not going to be all in all into my life into my heart. Does that make sense? But when I finally got to a point I said Jesus, I just want you to be in control. All of a sudden I got delivered from me. The major deliverance that needs to take place in your life is a deliverance from self. Because when you get delivered from you, you can actually live like him. You see, by my personality, I'm actually an introvert. But yet God has anointed and called me to minister all around the world, seeing thousands and hundreds of thousands of people come to the Lord. And so it required of me to get over the idol of self in order for me to accomplish the call of God. I had to be delivered from me, and it only comes to the degree that I relinquish control to him. Now, this is why this is so important to me. This is why I preach this message in this way. I grew up an atheist. I thought all this was foolishness. But you want to know why I thought this was foolishness? Because I grew up in the state of Alabama where there was a church on every single corner. But I cannot tell you not one time where I ever met a Christian or heard the name Jesus. And I've had people to argue me on this point. Well, you live in America, there's no way. I'm, I'm just here to tell you, not that I can remember, maybe at some point along the way, but I cannot remember not one time. I've gone through my life and I've thought, thought it through. I cannot remember not one time where I ever heard, met a Christian or heard the name Jesus spoken to me out in, out in the streets anywhere. And so it proved to me this. It proved me this point as an atheist. There's no way God can be real because his people don't even live as if he's real. I think America's primarily Christian atheists. We believe in the existence of God but live a life as if he isn't real. 
And it pushed me into this deep, dark place because I was created for fellowship with my creator. I was created to be in fellowship with my God. But it pushed me into this deep, dark place in my heart at 10 and 11 and 12 years old. I'm doing crack cocaine, cocaine, marijuana, mushrooms, pills, methamphetamine. By the time that I was 15 and 16 years old, I was in and out of crack houses. You see, this is the reason that I'm willing to get up here and willing to even offend because this is it's the, it's the truth. Like, but, but I want you to hear my heart of this. I'm, I'm not trying to intentionally offend people with statements. No, I'm, I'm trying to provoke a godly, a godly righteous anger inside of you that says, you know what? I don't have to be defeated. I don't have to let my, my country or my, my neighborhood, my city or, or whatever to go to hell. I can do something. By, I'm trying to provoke us in such a way that Jesus thinks you're to die for and you need to realize he loved you that much that he was willing to die on the cross to be with you and for me to hide that from somebody else. And so it pushed me into drugs and it pushed me into alcohol and I find myself in and out of crack houses and I find myself getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I get to the age of 20, which was May of 2005, which means I'm younger than you thought I was. And I get to the age of 20 and I had been up at the time for six solid days without sleep on methamphetamine. And I remember I'm walking along beside the road and I began to overdose on drugs because I've been up awake for six days and I didn't realize that my, my kidneys had completely failed and my liver was failing. And so when I began to overdose, I fell into the highway, got hit by a car. It knocks me down a ravine about 40 yards. I hit the bottom of it. The ambulance finds me because it knocks me out. I actually wake up in a hospital about two days later, which is how long I was out. And when I wake up, the doctors were still pumping things and trying to clean my system out. And, my, and the doctor said, listen, your kidneys have failed, your liver is failing. If, you, if your liver goes out, you're going to die. Because I was an atheist and I didn't believe in the existence of God, do you think I was praying for God to come help me? Do you think I was seeking for some guidance from a minister? No. Because of the hospital that I was in, couldn't handle my situation, they sent me to another hospital in another city, and I get there, and I'm in intensive care for two weeks. And they put me in this intensive care, and every single night, I would have this thought right before I went to sleep, and this thought was this, I hope I'll wake up to see tomorrow. It was a thought. I wasn't no prayer. We're not praying to anybody. And I would go, close my eyes and go to sleep. Well, this last night of being in the hospital room, I had this thought, and all of a sudden, a bright light forms right in front of my hospital bed. And to be honest with you, I've been on, I've been on many trips before. You know, I've tripped on a lot of stuff in my lifetime. And so I just grabbed my, I just grabbed my hospital bed and I'm like, hey, here we go again, you know. Who am I going to be this time, you know. Last time I was Super Mario. But anyway, and so I, and I, I'm sitting in the hospital room. And this bright light forms right in front of my hospital bed, and it gets bigger and bigger until it's like the size of a doorway or a pathway. And I'm looking at this light, and there's something different about this visionary experience that I've never felt before. There was this tangible presence and atmosphere in the room. And I start looking intently at this light, and all of a sudden I see a figure of a man walking toward me through this light, and all of a sudden he steps through this light into the room right where I am laying, and as soon as his feet touch the floor of my hospital room, my entire body just starts shaking and vibrating under the power of his presence. And I'm just sitting there convulsing under, under, under this power. He starts walking right to the foot of my bed. He's not saying anything to me. And he walks right to the foot of my bed, and, and, and his face was lit up with this brightness that I couldn't make out any, like, facial features outside of, like, a brown hair with a very dark beard and very dark hair. That was all I could make out. And so he turns like he's going to leave, but instead he walks over about five, five or six feet, and he walks over, and he sits down on the floor like this on his knees like he's waiting for something. He crosses his hands. 
you know, I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds goes by, and he looks over to the right side of the room. So I look over to the right side of the room, and when I do, the wall opens up. Now, when I'm saying I'm seeing this, this is not a figment of my imagination. I'm seeing this as I see you sitting here right now. And so I look over, the wall opens up, and a river of water starts flowing out of the wall into the room right in front of where this man is sitting. He sticks his arms in this water and begins to cleanse his arms and clean himself like this, like that. And an audible voice speaks to me, and it was the first time I heard, heard God. It was the first time I heard the gospel. It was the first time I heard Jesus. And the voice says this, the waters that you see will purify and cleanse you if you receive Jesus the Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I hear this voice speak to me, every fabric of my heart and my nature of my, on a cellular level responds to this voice, and I say, yes! And all of a sudden, that power that was on my body began to be filled with it. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was a baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can literally feel my organs beginning to tremble under this power. I get filled with this power, and I'm just shaking and shaking and shaking like I'm going to explode. The vision disappears. It knocks me out again like this. I get knocked out several times in this story. And I wake up about 12 hours later. But before I get there, before I get there, I want to make a point here. Do you realize when I was in that hospital room, I was there as an atheist, I was there as an alcoholic, I was there as a drug addict, I was there at rock bottom, but it didn't offend Jesus. I had no faith in him whatsoever, but so you know what he did as a gift of his grace is that he appeared to produce in me the faith I needed to respond to his gift of salvation. You see, Jesus thinks you are to die for, and if he thinks you're worth forgiving, you need to think you're worth forgiving. You see, the first time I heard the gospel was from the audible voice of God, but I sure to heard it from the audible voice of the church. You see, I got saved by Jesus coming to me, but I should have got saved by Jesus coming to me. Did you get that? I wake up 12 hours later, and then when I wake up, the doctors are shaking me like this. And I wake up, and I say, hey, so William, we've been doing tests on you for 12 hours. Not only are your kidneys better, not only is your liver better, but it's as if you've never done drugs before your whole life. <laughs> it's like you don't even have any reason to be in intensive care anymore. I mean, I think it freaked the doctors out. They were like, please leave. <laughs> you know, but even then, I had enough wisdom on me not to tell them about the man that appeared to me. You know what I'm saying? I knew there was a nut house they're going to try to send me to. You know what, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and so at, at the time, my, I didn't realize it, but my atheist dad had gotten saved a month or two months prior. And so I called my dad at the time I was, we were not in fellowship, not because he didn't try to be in fellowship. It was because of the life that I was living. I didn't want to be in fellowship. And so I don't want to portray that my dad didn't try to be in my life, okay? And so I called my father, and he comes, and he picks me up at the hospital. We begin to have this conversation with me to get off the drugs. I help you get a job. I help you get a home. And I realized, like, man, he's different. Because my dad before Jesus, man, he was, he was a trip. But my dad after Jesus, he is a man of, the, he is man of God. Like if he tells me something, it is like money in the bank. He is going to do it. That's how God is. If God speaks something over your life. He isn't lying about it. He's not proper lying. He's telling you the truth. And so we, we get all the way to my dad's house. And two days, three days, four days go by, and I realize I'm not even going through withdrawals from the drugs. 
Like, I've been in and out of rehab through my teenage life trying to get off drugs. I'm like, man, I don't even have a desire to do drugs anymore. Like, like I'm a new, like, I'm new. Like, like I'm different, right? And, and so I, and I did something that I don't suggest doing because at the time, but listen, I didn't know what it meant to be a, I didn't even know I was a Christian yet. I didn't know what it meant to follow God, and so I, I, I loved Newport cigarettes, and so I went and bought me a pack of Newport cigarettes. I put that Newport cigarette in my mouth. I was like, man, this is the worst tasting thing I ever put in my mouth. I just threw that sucker down. I was like, man, I'm different. Like, not only do I'm off drugs, like, I don't even like cigarettes, you know? And I'm like, what in the world is happening? So another couple of days go by, and one of my cousins comes over to the house to, to kind of catch up because, again, I haven't been around my family in seven, six, seven, eight years. And so we're sitting on my dad's couch. We're having a normal conversation, and all of a sudden, I start speaking in different languages to my cousin. You remember when I told you I got filled with the Holy Spirit a few days before? Well, I started speaking in tongues. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, just imagine you hanging out on the couch with your best friend, and all of a sudden you're like, Like, well, what are you going to do? I tried to tell him to call 911, but I couldn't speak English, and I'm like, And, 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 he's, a, and he's a type person that brings mace on his keychain, and he pulls his mace out because he is freaked out. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, and he's trying to spray me with mason. You know, after five or six minutes, I finally get where I can speak American again because we don't speak English. And, and, and I look at him and I says, and I say, no. he looks at me and says, what in the world was that? And I said, well, I met a man. He said, what you mean you met a man? Like that. I said, no, brother, not like that. <laughs> we ain't rolling like that. I says, no, I, like, I, no, I met this man at the hospital when I was dying, and his, and, he, and his voice spoke to me, and his name was Jesus. He says, I know what happened. I said, what happened? He says, you became a born-again believer. I says, what does that mean? He says, you're a Christian. And that's when I found out I was a Christian. I said, okay. I said, okay, well, what do Christians do? He says, well, well they go to Walmart. I said, What? I said, why do I need to go to Walmart for? How many of us know everything in your life that you need is at Walmart, right? And I said, what do I need to go to Walmart for? He says, well, there's a black book that you need to buy. He says, when you get there, this black book is going to have gold letters on it. It's going to say Holy Bible. He says, you need to go and buy that book and read that book because that book is going to tell you everything you need to know about being a Christian. That was the best advice I have ever received in my life. Thank God he didn't tell me to go to church first. And so I went to Walmart, and that's exactly what I did. I, I, I found my, 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 my black Bible. I didn't want to get a red one because I didn't want a chance going to hell or something. So, so, I, so I got my black Bible. I'm just kidding. But, and, I, and I come home with it, and I open it up, and it's, you know, it's the King James Version. It's in Shakespeare, and I don't talk like that, and I couldn't read it. You ever tried to read that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if Jesus would have showed up talking about, oh, brother, we're out now. Like, hold up, brother, what you talking about? No, I'm kidding. I have no issue with King James. I knew King James, but I couldn't understand it. I'm coming out of the context of the world. I don't know this stuff. And so I go back to the, to the church, uh, Walmart, and I get another translation that I can understand. And you know what happened? I get home, and I open it up in Genesis chapter 1. It's a good God that's made man formed out of his good image to be a good steward of his good creation. And I see right there in the garden Divine fellowship with my Father. And all of a sudden, the same presence and the same atmosphere that, that, that I felt in the hospital room, it's right there in my living room. I get, I get so captured by the story of creation and redemption, about the story of this God that wants to fellowship with man, that wants to work with man that wants to use him to accomplish his purpose and his will. And I, and I get all the way to the end of the book, and I realize, man, we're the head and not the tail. Like, like I didn't get to the end of the book and was like looking for the Antichrist. 
Now, I, I'm, I will get to the end of the book. It's like, man, look, Jesus is in me. I'm, I'm, I'm possessed by God. Like, like, like God lives. He, he loves me so much. He's willing to live in me. He's willing to live in somebody that's fought him his whole life. That was an atheist. That was a drug there. That was an unbeliever. But he was willing. But he was still willing. And I get to the end of it, and I'm just blown away by this God. Two weeks after this, I get through the whole Bible. I read it quickly, and I get a letter in the mail from the hospital. And the letter, when I opened it up, read this. Your $55,000 hospital bill is paid for in full. <laughs> I don't know who paid for it. I don't know if Jesus showed up in my room, got me saved, walked down and paid. The police officers found me, or the ambulance found me laying on the side of the road when I got hit by the car. I had drugs in my pocket. I had two felonies on my life at that time. We're looking at a 10-year prison sentence. And so I had a charge pending against me for drugs. And so I had a court appearance I had to go to. I had a subpoena in the mail. And so I get to the courtroom, and I get to come there that day. And, I'm, and it's my turn to come before the judge to plead guilty or not guilty for the charge. Because they couldn't lock me up until I got out because they thought I was going to die. And so I get there, and the judge looks at me and says, William, I, I've been looking forward to this day because I told you last time I saw you that I was going to make sure you do some time. And I was not looking forward to this visitation. And so the, so the judge starts talking to me. As he's talking, a police officer opens the door, walks into the room, walks up onto the platform where he is sitting, whispers something in his ear, walks down and out the door. He drops his head, looks up at me. He says, this, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen or heard. He says, I was just informed by the police officers that they cannot find the evidence to charge you with this day. <laughs> like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, like this is like, this is what Jesus And the judge looks at me and he says this. He says, however, I am going to have to charge you a fine for this court appearance because it's costing the state money to hold these hearings. You're going to need to pay the sum total of $666. (laughs) My my natural father that took me to the the courtroom that day, he's like two or three rows back. And my natural father stands up and my natural father says this verbatim. That boy right there is my son, and I'm here to pay his debt in full. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture of the cross? Like, 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 isn't this a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for you on the cross? That every sin that was pending against you, every issue, every crime, everything that was holding against you, holding you toward hell, Jesus came to nail that to the cross, but not just nail it to the cross, but remove it? You see, in that moment, my history became his story. And in that moment, I saw goodness and redemption. They, j- they let me out of the court that day. My dad comes up, and we walk to the back, and he pays the bill, $666. And the clerk looks at me, and she says, you've been chosen by God. Do you know the aspect of adoption that the Bible talks about means that he chose you? Just think about this in the natural. If you, go, if you adopt a child, that means you chose that child. You see, our parents just had to get what they got. <laughs> but God chose issue that you would ever make for the entirety of your life, and he still chose you.
But let it stoke something in your heart where you say, you know what? I need a revelation that he has of what Jesus has done for me and who he is in me and the image I was created in so that I can become that witness for somebody, that crackhead that may be laying on the side of the road wishing for a son or a daughter. So tonight, I just want to start it with kind of my journey, given the biblical context. But tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to get deep into the Bible here. Did I, did I'm going, did I go too long tonight? This is what I want you to understand. Listen, if you're in here, you've made a decision for Jesus before, but you've never, you've never said, you know what, I, won't, I don't want you just to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. If you, if you want to make that step, say, you know what, I want you to be my Lord. Listen, look all around the room, family. You see, the reason I ask you to stand because I want you to step into agreement with the statement. And the process of standing is your human will coming into agreement with his divine will for your life. Say this Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Savior, but not only my Savior, but my Lord. I yield my will to you. I don't want to go my own way. I want to go the way you prepared. I want to live the dreams that you have for me. Now, just stay in this moment for a minute, just to stay, right? Just keep your eyes closed. And so now, Holy Spirit, by your power, God, I ask that you would manifest your spirit upon every single person that's standing up right now, that you would manifest your power and your presence in a unique way in their life. That's Let there be a divine release inside of them right now. There it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. Fire, fire of God. Full of life now. Full of power.